You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. If you have your uh, ESV scripture journal that contains the Gospel of Luke, we gave out copies of these last week. There may be a few copies left on those tables in the back of the room, so if you did not get one of these last week, uh, please grab one today if there are any left. That's our Advent gift to you. We'll be studying Luke's Gospel between now and Easter of next year. So if you have your scripture journal or if you have your, uh, your copy of God's Word or your Bible app, grab that and go with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. You'll find today's reading on page 10 of your scripture journal, if that's what you're using. We'll be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 56. And our focus will be verses 26 to 38. So I want to read that to get us started. If you are willing and able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. For God's people. So listen carefully to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We have just started this series working our way through the Gospel of Luke, going from Jesus' birth to his death, resurrection, and ascension. And I've titled this series The Once and Future King. And I have to tell you, I really like this title. I think it has a great ring to it. Now, I can say that because the title is not original with me. I'm borrowing it from an English writer, a 20th century writer named T.H. White. He applied this title to his collection of stories about King Arthur. It comes from a Latin inscription that was said to be on Arthur's tomb. The idea is that Arthur was a great king. And even though he's gone, one day he will return. One day, at the moment of England's greatest need, Arthur will come back. Just when we need him most. Now, I've taken this title, The Once and Future King, and applied it to our study of Luke's Gospel because, as another English writer, J.R.R. Tolkien, once said... 
all myths, all legends steer, however shakily, towards the true harbor. In other words, all the great stories of kings, all the hero stories, they're just knockoffs. They're just adaptations, signposts that point us to something beautiful, to something true, the true once and future king, Jesus, the one we learn about in Luke's gospel. All stories point to him. Now, we can also think of it this way. All gifts that we give this time of the season, this time of the year, all gifts point to the greatest gift. Have you ever thought about this? Why is it that at Christmas we give gifts to everyone? It's the only holiday that that's true of. We don't do that at Easter. We don't do that for Independence Day or Halloween or Thanksgiving. You don't even do that when it's a special occasion like someone's birthday or an anniversary. On those days, you give gifts to one person. But at Christmas, and only at Christmas, we give gifts to everyone. Why? Well, I have to say, I don't know exactly where that tradition began, but it's fitting. It's appropriate for the Advent season. All gifts point to the greatest gift ever given, the gift of God's own Son. Today, on the second Sunday of Advent, we're going to hear about a second birth announcement, picking up right where we left things last week. Last week, we saw the angel Gabriel appear to an old man named Zechariah, whose wife was barren. And Gabriel announced that Elizabeth, his wife, would have a son, a son named John. John would have the power of God even within his mother's womb. His life ministry would be to prepare the way for the Lord. John is not the king. John is the herald. John is the one who will say, Hear ye, hear ye, all hail the king. Now, the second birth announcement that we'll read about today, that same angel, Gabriel, will appear, not this time to an old man, but this time to a young woman named Mary. And he will tell Mary that she will have a son named Jesus. From the angel's words that he speaks, and from the words that Mary sings here in chapter 1 of Luke's gospel, we learn three things about this son, this child, Jesus. We're going to learn that he will have an eternal reign. He will come through a supernatural birth. And his arrival will mean a complete reversal of society. So let's think about each one of those. His eternal reign his supernatural birth, and a complete reversal of society. First, his eternal reign. Look at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, the sixth month here refers to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the story we read about last week. Gabriel, same angel, same heavenly messenger, he's at work again. This time, he goes to a betrothed couple living in the city of Nazareth. Now, really, Nazareth is not even a city. It's more like a village. It's sort of nowheresville. 
And in Nowheresville are two relatively unknown people. Their names are Joseph and Mary. We're told very little about them here in Luke 1. We know that Joseph comes from the line of David, from the house of David. Twice, before Mary is named, we're told that she's a virgin. So we know that's going to be an important detail in the story. We also were told that this, this couple is betrothed. They're betrothed. Now, we don't really have a, a modern-day equivalent to betrothal. It's somewhat stronger than engagement, but not quite as strong as marriage. So for a couple at this time in this culture, for a couple to be betrothed, first of all, the husband or the, the husband-to-be, Joseph, would have to get permission from Mary's father, and they would have to pay what's called a bride price. And at that moment, the couple were legally bound to each other, but they did not yet live together. It was about a year later that they would actually have the ceremony and they would be officially married. As odd as it sounds to us today, in biblical times, a young girl could be betrothed to a man as early as age 12. Any 12-year-olds in the house this morning? Sounds a little crazy to us, doesn't it? At this time, when this story happens, Mary was merely a teenager. Young, unknown, resident of Nowheresville, Mary. The last person we would ever expect to receive a visit from an angel. To receive a message from God. And yet she is the one. The angel comes. The angel comes and says to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. When Gabriel appears, in his words we find two major themes. Grace and transformation. Or more precisely, grace that brings transformation. The first thing he says to Mary is, Greetings, O favored one, O graced one. Mary is referred to as one who has received the grace of God. This is her identity the recipient of divine grace. She is the graced one, the favored one, and this grace brings total transformation to her life. What does the angel say? You found favor, grace with God. You will conceive in your womb. You will bear a son, Mary. Now just think about all of the changes. All of the changes that were coming to Mary. This was the beginning of great change in her life. I mean, of course her body was going to change. She was having a baby. But it was much more than that. Being the recipient of God's grace in this way, it meant more than bodily change. It meant that Mary's whole life was going to change and it would never be the same again. From this day forward, she was Mary, a mother. A mother. It was a new role. A new responsibility. A new way of living, a new way of loving. In the same way that God's grace to Mary brought complete transformation, 
God's grace in our lives, it brings complete transformation to us. Ladies, ladies who are mothers, do you remember when you first found out that you were pregnant? I bet you remember exactly how you felt on that day. And whether that was a year ago, or 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, you still think of yourself as a mother, don't you? Even those of you who know that unparalleled pain of losing a child, still you think of yourself as a mother. Becoming a mother is an unchangeable change, right? Once you were not a mother, now you are a mother, and that will never change. You'll always be a mother. What a great analogy of what God's grace does to us. Believer, you have received God's grace, and God's grace has changed you. You have a new role. You have a new responsibility. You are now participating in His plan. You have a special calling a special purpose. It's a grace that has transformed you in the same way that the grace transforms Mary. The angel goes on. Verse 32. This child, this Jesus, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom There will be no end. The Son of the Most High. The Most High refers to God. So what the angel Gabriel is saying is that this Jesus will be the Son of God. The Son of God. Now we need to think about this for just a moment. Jesus' sonship is unlike my son's sonship in this way. There was a time when Aidan and Cullen, my sons, there was a time when they did not exist. But that's not true of Jesus. See, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is eternal in the same way that God the Father and God the Spirit are eternal. So at Christmas, we do not celebrate the beginning of Jesus. We celebrate His journey from heaven to earth. Here's the key phrase for you. It's not the beginning of Jesus, it's the becoming. We celebrate his becoming like us. His taking on flesh. Jesus is eternal. Well, why then does the Bible refer to him as the Son of God? If he is uncreated, if he's eternal, how can he be the Son? This is the Bible's way of helping us understand that Jesus shares the same divine essence as God the Father and God the Spirit. One of the old creeds of the Christian faith says it like this, Jesus is the Son begotten, not made. Begotten, not made. Hang with me on this. If you beget something, you beget something that is of the same kind as yourself. So a human man begets human babies. A beaver begets little beavers. A bird begets little birds. If you make something, you make something of a different kind. A beaver makes a dam. A bird makes a nest. 
The Bible teaches us that Jesus is the Son of God, begotten, not made. He shares the same divine essence or status as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. To say that Jesus is the Son of God is the Bible's way of telling us that Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh. He is the God-man. And his identity reveals his ministry. Jesus is God and man in one. His ministry, why did he come? He came to reconcile the holy God and sinful humanity. To bring us together as one. He's the son of the most high. But there's another thing that the angel Gabriel says here. The Lord God will give to him, to Jesus, the throne of his father David. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now here Gabriel reaches way back into the past. And he retrieves a promise. A yet unfulfilled promise. It was given long ago in 2 Samuel chapter 7 in the Old Testament to David. Remember, Joseph comes from the family of David. This promise that was given to David, David was Israel's great king. The promise was that one day a far greater king would come, far greater than even David. See, the king in the Old Testament really had one role. The king was supposed to lead the people in fulfilling the mission that God had given them. The king was the one who was supposed to lead the people in faithfulness, but throughout the Old Testament, even the kings were disobedient. David, Solomon, and their disobedience... It led to judgment and the loss of land, the loss of kingship. But this promise that was given to David long ago, that promise held out the hope that one day a king would come who would be faithful where all other kings had been unfaithful, who would finally lead God's people in fulfilling the mission of being a light to all nations. Gabriel says, this child, this Jesus is that king. He's the one you've been waiting for, the promised one, promised within the pages of the Old Testament. He is coming, and his kingdom will have no end. It is an eternal kingdom. Can I just say to you this morning, this promise being fulfilled is how you know you can trust God? Think about the things that God has promised to you, believer, for example, that one day when you die, death will not be the end of your story. That something far greater awaits you. How do you know you can trust him? Because he's a God who always fulfills his promises. He fulfilled this promise right here. That's how you know you can trust him. He is faithful. The second thing we learn in this passage about this king, this son, is that he will come through a supernatural birth. A supernatural birth. Look at verse 34. Mary responds to the angel. How will this be since I am a virgin? Now think first of all about how this response is both similar and dissimilar. Compared to what we looked at last week with Zechariah. Remember Zechariah responded to the angel with doubt, unbelief. And his unbelief was met with divine 
disapproval. God disapproved of it. We know that because God took away, temporarily took away Zechariah's ability to speak. It seems like Mary likewise is responding with doubt because she hears this announcement from the angel and the first thing she says is, how? How will this be since I am a virgin? But there must be something different going on here. We know that because this story is not met with divine disapproval. There's no hint in this story that God disapproves of Mary's doubt. Why is that? Because Mary's doubt is a doubt of a different color. See, there's a type of doubt that is a sign of a closed mind. I don't believe it. That's impossible. I don't want to hear any more about it. But there's also a type of doubt that is a sign of an open mind. I hear what you're saying. I don't understand. I'd like to learn more. That's the merry type of doubt. This is not a doubt with fists that's fighting off supernatural claims. This is a doubt with claws that wants to grab hold of the Christmas message and bring it closer so that I can understand it. This is a healthy kind of doubt. How can this be? Mary knows she has a basic understanding of human biology. She knows that physically it's not possible for her to have a child. She's a virgin. She's not yet been with Joseph. And so Gabriel answers, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Gabriel says to Mary, Yes, you are a virgin. You will have a child. And that child will be the result of God's direct creative intervention. This will be a virginal conception. Now, Luke, the writer of this gospel, doesn't tell us exactly how that works out. In the same way that the book of Genesis doesn't tell us exactly how God created life in the very beginning when there was no life, Luke's gospel doesn't tell us exactly how God creates life in Mary's womb where there was no life, without the involvement of Joseph. We're left to wonder, but one thing is clear. This is a virginal conception. It's a supernatural birth. Now, why does that matter? What does it mean? It reveals at least two things. First, it teaches us something about the uniqueness of Jesus. That Jesus came from the woman, Mary, means that he's human. He's one of us. He's like you and me. But that Jesus came from the Virgin Mary, that means he's not like you and me. He's more than man. He's the God-man. So it teaches us something about the uniqueness of Jesus, but secondly, it teaches us something about the seriousness of our sin. Our sin goes deep, so deep that we are powerless. We cannot rid ourselves of it. If salvation will come, it must come from outside of us. 
It must come from something or someone beyond our capabilities. God intervenes. God brings a way where there was no way. God brings salvation to us. That's what this supernatural birth means. Mary hears this. And you'll see in Luke 1, she responds with simple surrender. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Conveying, I don't fully understand all this. I don't fully understand all of this. But I trust God. I trust his plan. And I want to be used by him. And with that... Gabriel, the angel, leaves. And Mary goes to spend some time with her relative Elizabeth. And while she's staying with Elizabeth, she develops her thoughts a bit more. And she puts them in the form of a song. It's actually the first Christmas song. It's called the Magnificat. It comes from the first word in the Latin version of the end of Luke 1. And in this song that Mary sings, we learn that this Jesus, this child, who will have an eternal kingdom, who will come through a supernatural birth, he will bring with him a great reversal of society. Look at this in closing. The words of the Magnificat, the first Christmas song. Mary said, or sang, rather, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy, holy is his name. The music. The music has always marked the Christmas season, hasn't it? It's one of the first ways that we know this season is upon us. The radio station changes. You're walking through the mall and you hear the Christmas music in the background. The music has always marked the season. This, the very first Christmas song, it begins with sheer amazement. Amazement that God has chosen me. Lowly me. Young, unknown Resident of Nowheresville, Mary. The mighty God has chosen lowly me. Mary celebrates this and then she applies the mercy of God to a wider group. This is what I want you to see in closing. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. Friends, if you don't get this last part of the, of the passage, you're going to misunderstand what Christmas is all about. So you need to hear this. The end of Mary's song is all about how Jesus will reverse everything. All of society, everything we would expect. 
Look at the groups that Mary mentions in her song. Who typically receives the best treatment in society? Who typically receives preferential treatment? Those who are rich, powerful, fame and fortune, right? But look at the way Jesus responds to these groups. On the one hand, on the one hand, he scatters the proud, he brings down the mighty, and the rich, he sends them away empty. But on the other hand, those who are of humble estate, he exalts them. Those who are hungry, he fills with good things. Here's what this means for you and me today. It means that if we come to this child, if we come to Jesus in self-confidence, if we come to him looking at our own might and power, relying on our own resources, thinking that we have everything we need, if we come to him that way, he will send us away with nothing. He will leave us with what we think we have. But in the end, we will find that we have nothing. We are empty. But on the contrary, if we will come to this child, if we will come to Jesus in a state of humility, aware of our desperate, desperate need, if we will come to him as one who is hungry, then he will give us everything. See, if you come to Jesus thinking yourself a king, then he will send you away like a beggar. But if you come to him as a beggar, he will treat you like a king. He will treat you like a king. His mercy, God's mercy, is for those who fear him, for those who humble themselves and come to him desperately, desperately in need. Will you come to Jesus that way? Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the sending of your son. My prayer this morning is that if there is someone here who has been relying on their own self, their knowledge, their resources, their might, you would convict their heart today. That you would humble them. That right now they would see their need. How desperate they truly are because we are all desperate in need of a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. Jesus is that King. to him as beggars, as those who are needy, hungry, confessing our sin, placing our faith in him. Because when we do this, 
Jesus welcomes us with open arms. And the King himself, he treats us as kings. Work in hearts this morning, O oh Lord, I pray in Jesus' name.